Uh, Matthew chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 1 and through to verse 12. And you'll find that, um, you can follow along on the screen, um, and it's on page 1503 in the Church Bibles. Okay, so beginning at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the, the chaff with unquenchable fire. Thanks, Debbie. Morning, everyone. Great to be with you this morning. My name's Mark, if we haven't met. Um, and it's great to be with you just in general. Alicia and I have felt really well welcomed so far here at Trinity Church Allgate over the, the last couple of weeks that we've been here. So big thank you to everyone who's welcomed us so far. Thanks to everyone who sang happy birthday to me just then as well. I get to get up for 11 a.m. as well, so hanging out for that. Um, <laughs> Yep, I bet it's going to be just me at 11 as well. But look, we're looking forward to getting to know you all, building some good relationships with everyone here, and we're just really excited to see what's going to happen at Trinity Church All Gates uh, this year and beyond. So very exciting time for us as well. We're very much looking forward to it. Now, I think it would be fair to say that positive change is a good thing, and it's something that we all strive for, uh, whether that's in our workplace, in our relationships with other people, in our own personal lives. Um, it's why New Year's resolutions are such a big thing, isn't it? It's because we all want to see positive change happen in our lives. And we want it not just in our own personal lives, but on a, on a wider scale as well, don't we? Um, there's been a, a big media focus you've probably seen recently on the issue of abusive treatment of women by men, um, abusive treatment, unfair treatment, of women by men and you know, where, where the, the root of that problem lies and, more importantly, what the solution to that problem is. Uh, there's, a, there's also been the debate about the date of Australia Day, how and when Australia Day should be celebrated in, in light of sensitivity to our Indigenous communities. And, look, whatever your opinion is on those issues, um, you have to agree that these are conversations that are being driven by a pursuit of positive change. You know, the most powerful man in the world at the moment got his job because he promised that he would make America great. And we're people that want positive change. And positive change is what God calls us to pursue. And he gives us the reason and the resources 
to be able to do that. Positive change is right at the heart of the call to repentance uh, that we've seen in the passage that Debbie has just read. And they hopefully would have got a, a service le- leaflet as you walked in. The leaflets have got an outline on the inside that um, gives you a bit of an idea of where I'm going over the next 25 minutes or so. It gives you a few headings in there. It'd be great to keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 3 as well, just, just to help you follow along a bit as well. Uh, so you can see the headings I've got on the outline. Uh, firstly, um, we're looking at the idea of this kingdom being near, this kingdom that John the Baptist is declaring and what that means. And because of this kingdom coming, the, the right response is repentance. Repentance is needed. Uh, repentance is needed in light of the fact that judgment is coming. And this repentance isn't just something we do with words. It's very much something that is expected to bear fruit in our lives as well. So if you're the sort of person that needs a logical framework to be able to follow along to a talk, um, that's it right there. Now, I think you've looked at part of Matthew chapter 1 and 2 over Christmas for those uh, who are here at Christmas time. And uh, if you've been around for that, you would have seen that that covers the events surrounding Jesus' birth, so immediately before and after Jesus' birth. And what we see not just in the the first two chapters of Matthew, but really throughout the whole book of Matthew, is that there's a big focus on how Jesus comes as the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. Uh, So now we arrive at chapter 3, and we meet John the Baptist, this this quirky, eccentric figure who Chris portrayed for us just a moment ago. Probably not on a unicycle, but other than that, probably a reasonably accurate impression. And John has an important message that he's proclaiming, uh, which is, verse 2, that the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what is this kingdom of heaven? Well, we see a bit of a clue in verse 3 where Matthew tells us that the coming of John the Baptist uh, is a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, uh, which was written about 700 years ago. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now this quote, it comes from a fairly significant part of the book of Isaiah. Um, if you're familiar with Isaiah, it's, a, it's a, quite a long book, I think 66 chapters in the book. And the first half of Isaiah is very much, the, the picture it's painting is of Israel being a disobedient people to God, um, who God is going to punish by sending them into exile. Uh, but then there's, there's a real change of gear from chapter 40, Chapter 40 is set at a bit of a later time, and it's, it's actually written to Israelites who are in exile, and it's a message of comfort to them. It's a message that God is going to deliver his people. He's going to restore his people. And so this promise of restoration that we, that we see in Isaiah 40, it's going to find its fulfillment in the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And so John's job is to call the people of Israel to prepare the way for the Lord, for the king of this kingdom, um, who will deliver his people. And as we read on in the narrative, it becomes clear that this Lord and king is Jesus. So John is preparing the way for Jesus to, to bring about God's kingdom and God's rule. 
And preparing the way for this kingdom means declaring that repentance is needed. That's point two on the outline there. The very first word that Matthew records John the Baptist speaking here is repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And it's interesting, um, we'll see next week or the week after, I think in chapter 4, verse 17, when Jesus arrives on the scene and when Jesus begins to preach, the first words that Matthew has him saying are actually the exact same words. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And it seems like the, the crowds who go out from Jerusalem and the surrounding areas to, to hear John the Baptist, they take this message on board. Uh, we see in verse 6, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him. So this baptism, it's a symbolic expression of repentance. And repentance is needed because of sin. Sin is something that is common to, to all people. Um, it's common to all people back then and now as well. Uh, so regardless of whether you're someone who has followed Jesus your whole life, uh, whether it's just been a few years, or perhaps you're here this morning just new to church, um, still working out what it is that we believe as a church and what it means to follow Jesus. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinful people. Sin makes us want to do things our way rather than God's way, to, to want to live as the ruler of my kingdom rather than to live under God's rule. And it not only breaks our relationship with God, it affects our relationship with other people and it affects us personally as well. But sin is the reason why, even though we all want positive change, the world is still a broken place. And because of sin, there's a judgment that's coming. John's call to repentance that he gives here is really grounded in the reality that there's a judgment that is coming. He talks in verse 7 of a coming wrath. Verse 10, he uses the illustration of a tree being chopped down and thrown into the fire. And then in verse 12, it, this powerful person who John is preparing the way for Jesus, it's him who is bringing this judgment. John uses, well, John describes this judgment as a farmer separating wheat from chaff. Now, it's probably not as familiar an image for us today as it would have been uh, in that time and place. Uh, but back in those days, um, the wheat harvest would get collected and um, it would get gathered in. You'd have amongst there, you'd have both the, the good wheat and just the, the useless chaff that you'd need to, to get rid of. And so what the farmer would do, he'd get what's called a winnowing fork and he'd, he'd sift through the, the wheat harvest and all of it would get tossed up in the air. Um, the grain would be, is the heavier bit, so it would just fly up and fall back down. Uh, but the chaff would get blown away in the wind. And so eventually you'd end up with just your good wheat, uh, which you could use or sell. So the picture here is of a separation between the good and the bad and the fiery destruction of the bad. And this judgment is uncomfortably close as well, John says. The axe is all ready to go at the root of the tree. The, the winnowing fork is in his hand. Judgment is close. And what John wants everyone 
to be able to see here is that in light of this coming judgment, there's no place for complacency or overconfidence. These would have been most, if not all, Jewish people who John was baptizing. Now, Jewish people didn't get baptized. Baptism was for outsiders who who wanted to be included in the Jewish community. And so by baptizing Jews, John is saying here that being Jewish doesn't make you any better in God's sight. He's trying to remove any complacency that they might have. Interestingly, John doesn't actually mention judgment here until verse 7, uh, when he sees the Pharisees and Sadducees, who were the, the prominent Jewish religious leaders at that time. Until then, it seems like people are, are coming along, they're, they're being baptized, they're confessing their sins, no worries at all. Uh, so why this sudden outburst against the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Well, I take it that John knows that they're not sincerely repentant. Their confidence is in their Jewish heritage and in their own righteousness. So John tells them that there's no security in being a Jew. There's no security in being descended from Abraham. Because they've not realized the depth of the problem of sin, the relational barrier that it puts between us and God, the urgent need for repentance. I was reading an autobiography the other day. It's the autobiography of a guy called Jack Welch. You might have heard of him. He's an American guy. He was the CEO of General Electric for a number of years. Very, very successful businessman. And um, he was the final chapter of the book. He takes 20 questions that he's been asked by people on the the speaking circuit that that he does. And he takes the 20 questions that have made him think the most and he tries to answer them. And, you know, most of them are business-related questions like, you know, how do you think China is going to affect the American economy, all, all that sort of thing. The last question that he, he gets asked is, do you think you're going to go to heaven when you die? And um, from his answer, it was pretty evident that he wasn't a, a particularly religious man. So his response to that was that he really realized he had to weigh up the good and the bad in his life. And he, he looked at it and he thought, well... I've had a couple of marriages that have broken down because uh, I haven't been there for my family. But on the other hand, I've done a lot of great things for the community. I've helped a lot of people. I've given a lot of people jobs. And his his rationale was, you know, if God's there, I'm pretty sure my good is going to outweigh my bad. Now, it's a nice thing to believe, perhaps, but it's just not the biblical picture It's not how God reveals himself to us. Now, even if we know that, even if we know that God doesn't save us because of the things that we've done, there's still a danger, I think, that that deep down, uh, we do look for a level of security in how good our Christian performance is. You know, I I go to church regularly, I give generously, I I serve at church. I'm, I'm a good person all round. The, the real sting that we see here from John the Baptist is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees in that culture were the ones who had the best reputation among God's people. They were the ones that knew their scriptures the best. They were the ones that did the most good works. 
And yet they're the ones who God rebukes because they hadn't properly grasped their need for repentance. So John's words should wrestle away from us any sense that God is impressed by our goodness. So Jesus is going to come one day to bring judgment. And that's a judgment that none of us are good enough to escape by our own good works. But there was something that Jesus came to do before that. Before Jesus came to bring judgment, he came to bear judgment. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment that we deserve for our sin. This was God's way of dealing with the problem of sin once and for all and restoring our relationship with him. And knowing that, it gives us a much broader picture of the kingdom of heaven, doesn't it? Because the kingdom of heaven, it's not simply living with Jesus as our king. It's living with Jesus as our savior. Jesus, who laid down his life for us so that we could enjoy the blessings of life in God's kingdom. And so that is why we're called to repent. And this repentance is more than just words. It's more than just saying sorry for for what we've done. That's certainly an important part of it, but it is so much more than that. When it comes to genuine Christian repentance, fruit is expected. That's why we see in verse 8, John tells the Pharisees and the Sadducees, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Genuine repentance, then, is evidenced by a changed life. It involves not only a, a confession of sin, but a reorientation of our life. I was going to illustrate that, but I left my unicycle at home, so you'll just have to stick with, with Chris's. But you can see that, that complete reorientation of our life. I saw a, a bumper sticker once, and uh, the bumper sticker had, had written on it, um, a Christian is someone who apologizes on Sunday for what he did on Saturday and is planning to do on Monday. Now, you can judge for yourself whether that's, that's a harsh call or not, um, but whether or not it is, that's not what repentance is at all. To repent means acknowledging that, that I've sinned, and that my sin goes against the way of life that God has called me to, and that it drives a barrier between me and God. And so I confess my sin to God, And I commit to to turning away from that sin and reorienting my life so that it reflects the life that God has called me to pursue. And so the fruit of repentance is a changed life that brings honor to God. Now, it's important to, to note that living a good life is not what makes us right with God but it is our grateful response to having been made right with God through Jesus. Uh, If you're here this morning, new to church, new to Christianity, just just checking out what it's all about, um, the first step of a relationship with God is to repent. It's to, to come to him in repentance and to accept the offer of forgiveness of sins that Jesus freely offers. Now, you may have lots of questions to ask 
before you get to that stage, and we'd love to hear those questions. You're welcome to, to come and chat to, to Chris or to myself. Um, we'd love to, to chat through those things. We're, we're in the early stages of planning out the church year at the moment and what the, what the church calendar is going to look like as the year goes on, but, but something we're really prioritizing is making sure that we've got clear pathways for people to be able to come along and to explore for yourselves who Jesus is and to be able to ask all those questions that you've got. So if that's something you'd like to chat to us about, then feel free to come and grab us anytime and ask about that. For most of us here, though, there's been a decision we've made at some point in our lives to follow Jesus, to put your trust in him and to follow him. You might be able to to pinpoint the exact time and place where that happened, or it might have just been an an ongoing decision that that you made, a, a decision that you came to over time. You might not be able to remember a time when you didn't call yourself a Christian. And if that's the case, then you don't have to worry that you haven't repented enough to avoid God's judgment. Because if your trust is in Jesus, then you're safe in him. But the Christian life, it doesn't just begin with repentance. The Christian life is a life of ongoing, fruitful repentance. Uh, To use the tree imagery, we're, we're to be trees that are producing increasing amounts of fruit. And so the pattern of the Christian life then is recognizing sin in our life, uh, being grieved by that sin, knowing how serious it is in God's sight, and making the decision to to turn away from it, uh, to reorient our lives uh, in a way that is pleasing to God in light of all that he's done for us. So repentance then, it's positive change. We're recognizing uh, the things in our life that lead us away from the good purposes that God has called us to. And we're turning away from those bad things towards good things. Now, we don't have time to to look at it in depth, but Colossians chapter 3 is a passage that expresses this really well. It uses the language of putting to death the old self and putting on the new self, which is being transformed into the image of God. It's a beautiful picture. And so we should be able to to look back on our lives and be able to to see real concrete ways uh, where we've been producing fruit, uh, where where we've we've been putting off the old and putting on the new in our lives. And to look at our lives now and ask, where is repentance needed? Where does fruit need to be produced? Where are the the bare branches on my fruit tree, if you like? Now, maybe it's that you know that I just don't depend on God as much as I should. I, I I live my life in my own strength. I don't depend on him enough. And if that's the case, then producing good fruit in my life might look like intentionally structuring prayer and reflection into my life. It might mean having someone else who I pray with. It, it'll mean thinking through how I'm living each day, um, depending on God, bringing each day before him in prayer. Uh, maybe I've recognized that the way that I speak doesn't honor God. And if that's the case, then fruitful repentance, producing good fruit this year, will mean intentionally using my words to build people up, to, to point people 
to Jesus. Perhaps there are areas of deep pride in my life where I'm living for my kingdom and my glory rather than that of Jesus. And I need to recognize the triggers for that. I need to make sure that my intention for my life is to display how great Jesus is, to display how great his kingdom life is, not to make myself look good. So what will fruitful repentance look like for you this year? I think it's a great time to be able to to look at the year ahead and to be able to ask that question of ourselves. Now, the process of turning from sin and reorienting our lives, it's not always an easy one. There may be things that you've been struggling with for for years and years uh, that you'd love to change, but you just haven't seen that change happen yet. The comfort is that a life of ongoing, fruitful repentance isn't something that we do on our own. We can see there in verse 11 that the baptism that Jesus brings is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who lives in us, guiding us and equipping us to live for God. You might be familiar with the passage about the, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where the the Apostle Paul tells us that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this is is the sort of good fruit uh, that the Spirit works in us to produce, uh, to make us more like Jesus. Really um, helpful illustration I heard once for the work of the Spirit in us is that when, when the Spirit is in us, it's a bit like a house being renovated. Um, I don't know if any of you have had the, the joy of buying an old house and sort of renovating it into shape. I know Ryan has because he's shown me, but I'm sure others have as well. And I've never done it myself, but I'm, the impression I get is it's a real ongoing process it's not something that happens overnight. It's, it's something that really takes time to do. You, you paint the, the wall in one room. You've got to rip the carpet out of the next room. And um, just it takes a lot of time. And sometimes it can feel like you're taking a step backwards uh, to take steps forward. The work of the Spirit in us is a lot like that. And that means that prayer is an important part of fruitful repentance. Because it's not something that we do on our own, in our own strength. It's something that we're depending on God's Spirit to equip us for. Jesus' kingdom is so much more than just him ruling over us. Jesus has paved the way for for us to be members of his kingdom, to enjoy all the blessings of the kingdom of heaven, all the blessings of a right relationship with him. And our right response to that is to rejoice in the love and provision that he's given to us. To repent of the ways where we're not living as he would like to have us live. To seek positive change, to reorient our lives, to bear fruit for him, living as the people who God made us to be. Let me finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for this kingdom of heaven that we've heard proclaims here and for the the wonderful king that we have of that kingdom, King Jesus. And we thank you that this is not a kingdom where 
Jesus simply rules over us, but one where he has laid down his life for us. He's become our saviour. And we pray that you would help us each day to live not just as people on the kingdom of earth, but as people very much in your kingdom of heaven as well, living as you would have us live. Uh, Please help us uh, to live each day thankful that through Jesus we have forgiveness of sins. We don't have to fear the judgment uh, that is coming. Uh, Please help us to live repentant lives. Uh, Please help us to be grieved by the ways that we live in a way that doesn't honor you. Uh, But not not just to feel guilty about it, but to actually redirect our lives, to seek positive change in our lives, to to think through specifically what does that mean for us, to to bear good fruit for you. Uh, Please give us wisdom in that and please fill us by your Holy Spirit and help us to live lives that honor you in light of your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen.